Shredder's completely shocked, and this might be the first time he's realized, wow, this is what this mutagen can do. Yeah. Um, and... It's very much – did you ever see the movie RoboCop? Oh, yeah. When, when that dude gets dunked into, like, chemical waste. Oh, yeah, he's like, <laughs> He's like, <laughs> just oh, like, help creepy. me. <laughs> and then he gets hit by a car. <laughs> Michelangelo here, you know, the master of the whirling pizzas. And you, my friend, are listening to Turtle Flakes, a bodacious bowl of Ninja Turtles goodness, brought to you by my radical dudes, Rob and John. Cowabunga! Cowabunga, dudes and dudettes, and welcome to another episode of Turtle Flakes. I think this is episode 57. Is it 57, Josh? I believe so, yeah. Okay. I usually have, like, my phone and stuff with me so I can, you know, just look up stuff like that, but I have no idea. <laughs> you know what? It's a good thing that I'm starting to lose count because that goes to show you we've been doing this for a little while now. <laughs> it's it's uh, episode before 60. Let me say There that. you go. There you go. Before 60. We're, all, we're almost caught up with the IDW series now. Oh, yeah. What about that? You better watch out. <laughs> you know. Speaking of which, hey, the next IDW um, comic, I know you're very excited about it. It's got the uh, Street Phantoms. Oh, God. <laughs> Oh man, like just I'm glad like the Street Phantoms just like got taken out like on page three. <laughs> See you later. Yeah, Goodbye. They're, You're they're done. back. They're back with a yeah. vengeance. It's kind of like you know, just the Street Phantoms are just kind of when you're trying to herd an angry child. It's just no, <laughs> no, you can't. No, you cannot comprehend what you're doing, much less what I'm going to do. You know. Oh, I know it. Yeah, yeah. So I, I've not actually read the issue yet, but hopefully maybe next episode we could cover it. Yeah, I read it. I read it a couple days ago. It's good. Really? It's, it's really good. Is this the yeah. beginning of a new story arc? Interesting. Yeah, it, it it the thing that the thing that issue 60 61 does is that it sets up the next at least 10 issues worth of stories. Ooh. Because everybody like the whole it's a it's very very little action and it's all character based where like Splinter gathers everyone together all the turtles April and Casey Jones and it's him telling them their plan basically you know because Alapex is gone um, Kitsune's off someplace the street phantoms need to be dealt with and there's a bit of a cliffhanger at the end. Well, actually, there's obviously there's a huge cliffhanger at the end, but there's a little bit to do with Casey Jones. Splinter has a very special request of Casey Jones that you don't really know yet, anything of yet. Oh, interesting. Yeah, and I thought it was really cool to see in, in that issue how much Splinter cares for Casey Jones because huh. you never really get that in any other Turtles comic or film or cartoon i've never seen uh splinter show a warmth towards casey yeah like almost like a son yeah you know or just just not that he doesn't care but like in any of the other versions of the turtles but I, i don't recall ever seeing it you know it's just more of anything more than oh that's my kid's friend every every father has that one 
person that they don't like their son hanging around with, and that's, that's kind of what Casey <laughs> Jones is. Sweet. Well, you got you got me excited because at first I was like, ah, oh, this is going to be a reset of a story arc here, and I just I was like, well, we just wrapped up a big Katsune issue, so I was like, eh, I don't know if I'm going to like this one, but you got you got me I, fired I, up. I really liked it, and I, I love what they're – I won't spoil anything, but I love what they're doing with Michelangelo. Ooh, interesting. Yeah, it's just of all the turtles, I, w- I never expected it from Michelangelo. It's more of a, bi- a deeper explanation of where he's at after issue 50. When he, he left the, the turtles because he's, he's not going to be associated with the Foot Clan at all. And so he says, you know, I'm out, and this is a more – much more of an explanation of where he's at and also just like what he's noticing the turtles and splinter doing that not even they realize what they're doing so it really shows you his intuitiveness that i mean because you think of michelangelo he's a party dude you don't think of how smart the guy actually is yeah in a lot of ways you know michelangelo is kind of the heart of the turtles you know out of all of them he's the one that kind of when the turtles do something that's even in the gray area. He's the one that usually speaks up. Yeah. You know, and he's very rarely serious, but when it comes to morality and stuff, he's the one that usually he's the one who stands up for something, you know. And yeah. uh you know, and you would think that'd be more Leo, and Leo does sometimes, but I've noticed a trend because in the fourth volume he does the same thing. And I'm like, man, I think Michelangelo is more the heart of the team than anybody else. Yeah, Leonardo, his one, in my opinion, his big fault is he gets tunnel vision. Leonardo is very goal oriented. You know, I mean, very much a deep sense of right and wrong. He wants to protect people, wants to protect his family. But when he's got specifically an enemy, when he has a goal in front of him, he will accomplish it no matter what. Right. And Donatello is very much the same way because he's so analytical. And Raphael is t- almost too emotional. Mm hmm. And Michelangelo is this really great balance between all four of them. It's kind of like he's like the jack of all trades, master of none in the team. You know, so that's that's the great thing about Michelangelo is he covers all the bases. Absolutely. Wow, man, we jumped. We just jumped into some deep turtle talk right on the top of the show. Yeah. All right, we can just close the show now. It's, we're done. <laughs> oh, sweet. Well, like, well, I'm very excited about today's episode because we finally returned to the Nickelodeon era of the Turtles. And, you know, for those of you who, you know, might not remember, like, the, the general format of our show is we always try to do three different waves of the Turtles. Like, we would go with the classic era, then the 2003 era, and then the, you know, current Nickelodeon era. But we're still going in chronological order. So today we're covering, I think we're on issue eight of the IDW series, and yep. we are on episode eight of the Nickelodeon series. So both topics, yeah, I guess you call them topics, uh, or the content we have today, I'm so excited because this is some of the best stuff I think we've covered in a while. So I, I'm really excited to talk about it. But but before we get into it, I have to um, give a few shout-outs, give a few slices of pizza to some of our uh, friends of the show and listeners and stuff. Um, first one is we got an email about a month and a half ago, and I'm such a jerk, I didn't even realize it until yesterday. <laughs> oh, well, well, that opportunity's out the window now. <laughs> I know, I know. I, well, apparently, I was desperately reaching out to some of our listeners because, you know, I, one of my favorite things about the show is, is talking with you guys, especially people that we had no idea were listening. You know, that's one of the yeah. coolest things for me. I, I don't know if it's that way for you, Josh, but, like, hearing from somebody <laughs> that um, – 
you had no idea was listening to your show was one of the I don't know mo- one of the most rewarding things I think for me. Yeah, yeah, definitely, man. I I really I try very hard to get feedback from people because that's how I become a better podcaster, oh, yeah. writer, yeah. entertainer. It's how we become better entertainers. Yeah. So when we hear any kind of feedback, positive or negative, I'm always really happy. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I. And you know, and it's, so long as it's constructive feedback. I mean, I have I have been um, I've been criticized before, and I wasn't so constructive. Uh, yeah. And you know that never feels good. But yeah, oh, I'm absolutely. sorry. I didn't know you read that. I'm sorry. I forgot. I didn't. <laughs> oh, it's, That's my it's bad. Before I knew you. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like this hoser likes pineapple on pizza. No, he's gone. No, oh, he's done. That's the best. It's that's my favorite pizza. As a matter of fact. Oh God, <laughs> you obviously haven't had good pizza. Hey, well, speaking of which, did you get your toppings yet? Oh man, you know what, dude? Oh, here we go. I am, I guarantee, next week, okay? I am so sorry. <laughs> oh, buddy, it's all good. I, I kind of forgot about it until you just mentioned it. <laughs> I, I gar- yeah, speaking of bad pizza, yeah. So, <laughs> but, no, I, I guarantee next week because – Oh, man, that's going to be good. Nicole and I had a great – great. Nicole and I had a he- uh, very busy week working crazy hours. And then yesterday I was uh, watching the kids while she was at work. So I had the day off yesterday. And I was getting yard work done and doing a bunch of stuff, and I completely forgot about it until literally a half hour ago or 20 minutes ago, and I told my wife, I'm going to go record the Turtle Flakes episode. And I'm walking upstairs, I thought, I'm supposed to be eating some disgusting pizza today. <laughs> and it just didn't work, so I'm sorry, next week, I oh, guarantee Oh, man, it's all good. It's all good, Banana, jelly bean, stupidity. And marshmallow. Or and marshmallow cream. with pepperoni, Yeah. <laughs> You know what? I'll tell you what. Since the, you forgot, now you have to put the uh, the black jelly beans on there. Your no. no <laughs> ah, darn it. Uh, right. Just kidding. Just kidding. I wouldn't do that to you. All black jelly beans. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, so anyways, yeah, we got an excellent, excellent email um, from a gal named Kia. All right. Uh, I asked her how to pronounce her name because I wasn't sure if it was Kaya or Kia. <laughs> so, uh, but she said, nope, it's just like the car. So I was like, "Awesome!" All right, I was so just thinking that, yeah. Like there's, there's a very popular brand of car that's named after that. Absolutely, my first car was a Kia. I had a oh. Kia Rio. Got me through college until the the uh, transmission went out. So uh, here's what she had to say, and uh, this is it was so cool to, to read this yesterday. She says, "Hey, Turtle Flakes, I heard you mention that some interaction from listeners would be interesting. I'm a listener over in Oregon and have been listening to the podcast for a few months now. I actually came across it out of the blue." I listen to some podcasts covering video games and the like, but needed some turtle talk. I can't always listen to soundtracks, can I? I mega enjoy the range of turtle content that's covered and share many opinions and favorites with you guys. As a kid, the only turtle thing that I first got involved with was the fabulous 1990 TMNT movie. Which, by the way, that's, that's a good thing. That's yeah, a great that's initiation stuff. into it. <laughs> that's a great, that's like the best gateway drug ever. Right. So. <laughs> That's probably a bad comparison, but yeah. Oh, sure, sure. Gateway Pizza, there you go. Gateway Pizza. <laughs> That's our Turtle Flakes themed restaurant right there, Gateway oh, Pizza. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And she says, you know, as the, as a kid, the only thing uh, Turtle thing that I first got involved with was the fabulous 1990 uh, TMNT movie, which I would watch repeatedly. M- me too. Um, mm-hmm. Not until later, at the age of 16, did I bother to reach out into the original TMNT comics with other shows, games, and everything else. I just recently found out an arcade bar by me has a 1989 TMNT game from Konami. Oh, There's awesome. my night out. <laughs> there it is. Yeah. There it is. She says, um, basically, the TMNT Abyss 
which I'm still presiding in at the age of 19. At first hand, I fell in favor for Michelangelo most. However, growing up, I have realized that my personality is most like Leonardo's. Regardless, they're all, of course, unique in their own way. And you find a piece of yourself in all of them. Now, you know, that's very true. Mm-hmm. And she says, even Splinter, I'd say. Currently, or I'm catching up on the IDW comics, which I'm enjoying so far. Even when you go over a particular issue I haven't yet, it's better so I know vaguely what's in store. Oh, very cool. And she says, anyway, I really appreciate the quality podcast, and I, and I get on to myself to listen to the new episodes every Saturday, or at least within two days afterwards. I hope you guys keep up the sweet work, and I, of course, look forward to all the to- totally tubular episodes. Kia. So, Thank you. Wow, what a nice thing to say. Thank you so much uh, for, for the uh, wonderful email. And it's cool because she's 19. We're, th- we're in our 30s, and you're, you're, yeah. in your, you're late 30s. I was, I was just thinking <laughs> that because she's like, I was like, you know what, this is a great email. Why did you have to mention you were 19? Oh, I know, I know. You were al- I was almost in high school when you were born. Okay. But you know, you know what the beauty is, though? What was What's her fa- what was her favorite? What was her favorite thing about the turtles? Michelangelo in the 1990 movie. Ah, that's it. That's it. She yeah. was even though she's younger, she still goes back to the uh, 1990 movie. So that was before she was probably born. And I, I love that. That goes. That speaks volumes of that movie. It never got better than that. Yeah, it yeah. never did. As much as I like the new stuff, it it never quite captured that magic. You know. And the great thing is, like, a kid born nowadays is going to say that about the movies that just came out this summer, you know? Right. Very true. Very true. You know, and, and the interesting thing is, um, you know, that, that we have this, this range of, of fans that just, yeah. you know, they, they love the series. They love everything about it. And I think one of the most exciting things for me, I, when, when I was 19, I was kind of, that's when I finally started opening up to this whole universe of comics like where she's getting into the IDW series at the age of 19, I was getting into the um, Volume 4 series uh, when I was 19. That's like what I remember, and that was kind of like my first that, – that was my gateway into the comics uh, was Volume 4, and then I started reaching out to – then I eventually read you know the original volumes. And uh, now it's like it's kind of blown and blossomed into this huge, huge passion for the franchise because every single facet of the Turtles has something else to offer. Even the bad stuff, like Next Mutation, or it's not all bad. You know, there, there's some cool parts no. to Next Mutation. No, everything has this great element uh, to element or two to it. You know, it's just kind of like, you know, Next Mutation had like there there was a great family aspect there. There was Venus de Milo's introduction there. Like her or not, she's an important part of the mythos. Absolutely. You know, and it's not that show's fault that it tried emulating the Power Rangers, which it shouldn't have done, but... Oh, that, I mean, that was a time, you know, late 90s, yeah. Power Rangers were hot. Yeah, and, like, even the 2003 series, like, I'm not a huge fan of that series because I think they oh, really? tried going, like... Yeah, it, I'm not saying it's bad. I really, really enjoy it. There's a lot of great in that show. But I think at a, a couple of times, they just tried going a little bit too dark, with it, you know, just in in terms of like just themes and emotion and stuff like that, I think they tried get not dark, but just they tried taking it too seriously. Well, okay, I, you know, now that you bring that up, I got a question for you. Here, here's something yeah. I've always kind of wondered. Pretend for a minute that you didn't grow up with the original cartoon. Yeah. Pretend so you have you have to eliminate that bias there. Okay. And say at the very same day. You watch an episode of the original cartoon, and you watch an episode of the 2003 series. Which one do you think you would kind of lean towards? 
2003. Yeah, you know, I, that's kind of what I wonder about. I have a really hard time separating my bias for the original cartoon. Yeah. But, um, you know, I, I just think the, the, the 2003 series was so well written, and so was the original, don't get me wrong. Um, two oh, very, it's tough. Let's say this, like two very, very different series. Right, too. apples and oranges, very true. Yeah. That's that's kind of an unfair question to ask, to be honest. But No, 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 it's not, because like if, if I had never seen any animated Turtle stuff, and I just watched an episode of one episode randomly right now today of the 87 series, of the 2003 series, and the 2012 series... I probably would have picked the 2003 series because more often than not, the the original 87 series is way too slapsticky. Yeah, especially with, uh, later episodes, yeah. Yeah, yeah especially, like, specifically anything after season two. It's three stooges for seven years after that. Right, <laughs> which is the right around the time I was getting into it, so I didn't notice that as a kid. Right, uh, no, neither did I. I just thought that's, I mean, that's what every other cartoon was like. Right. (laughs) You know, and the 2003 series, with the exception of, like, the fast-forward seasons, which I think were a little bit too, it it was a little bit too disorganizing. That would have worked for, like, half a series, not a whole season. Yeah. You know, but, um, and then the 2012 series, it's, I just watched it this morning, it's, it's really good. I'm definitely, I definitely rag on that series a little bit too much just because I really think that it's a great series that I don't even know what – not that I have a problem with it. I don't really know what I just – something just doesn't really hook me with the 2012 series, mm-hmm. which is crazy because I recognize how good that show is. And there's a lot – just like the 2003 series, there's a lot of great in that show like – the tail end of season three when they go to Northampton, I love it. Absolutely love it. You know? And You're talking about the Nick series, right? Yeah, the Nickelodeon series. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely love it. And the new season, I haven't seen any of it yet. I, I don't I don't know that it's out yet, but um I've seen trailers for season four. Uh-huh. Season five. And it's it looks really good, you know, with a bunch of new characters. I like what they're doing with April. Uh, the new character, she's a witch named uh, Shinigami. She looks really cool, really powerful. And, yeah, can't wait to see that. But it's, I think the 2003 series is, like, probably the best mixture of Turtles nostalgia in terms of the old comics. Because I didn't read any of the old comics until I was an adult, with the exception of that Michelangelo issue. I I never read any of them until I was an adult. So, yeah, probably the 2003 series is probably the best one all around because the 87 series was great for its day. The 2012 series is good so far, but it's not done yet. So Ah, true. Very true. Yeah, um, I mean, I... Kind of like going back to the comic books, you know, each show has its own thing to offer, kind of like you were saying. So, yeah, yeah I mean, all of them are great for their own reasons. Yeah, uh, Kia, thank you so much for that email. And and listeners, if you want to send us any emails, we'll, if it's okay with you, we'll, uh, of course, I'll always ask. Uh, we'll read your email on the show, and we would love to kind of be more interactive. And as a matter of fact, I mentioned it on the last Turtle Tracks episode, Just I think it's just released today, that I really want to do a Turtle Com segment. 
where listeners can call in and, and talk about, say, if we're covering a toy they want to talk about or oh, yeah. or a comic or cartoon episode or something like that. They can chime in with their opinions and stuff. So I think I really, really want to do that. So I'm going to pick Michael Kelso's brain from Two Dudes and an S. Excellent yeah. show, by the way. They do a phone segment, and I'd love to do the same thing. So we're working on that. My main goal for the whole year is just become more interactive with, with you guys because really that's what it's all about. That's that's the icing on the cake. The topping on the pizza is uh, you know, getting to talk with fellow turtle fans, you know, and, and us all share this thing. And that kinda that kinda leads me into the next thing I wanted to mention before we get started in our toy review is I wanted to give a big, big slice of pizza to a uh, a show, a brand new turtle show that uh, I just found out about today. Um, this morning, and uh, it's the sh- first of all, the, sh- the show title is awesome. It's called Booyaka Show. <laughs> I just love that title, um, and uh, it's hosted by a guy named Zach. And I listened to the first episode, and first of all, I was very impressed with you know his, his voice and his hosting presence. Um, it sounds very professional already, whereas Turtleflakes kind of had a rocky start. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was uh, the sound quality was not quite as good. Of course, you know. I, you, you live and learn. You kind of learn as you go for me. But, um, yeah, I, I was very impressed with his his uh, show. The premise of his show is he's going to cover um, episode by episode the Nickelodeon series, which I don't – that's never been done before, you know, just where a podcast dedicated solely to the Nick series. So I think that's a great idea, great thing for fans. And um, he was kind enough to even mention our show as his inspiration. And I – that's like the most humbling. Awesome. Yeah, it is. It's the most yeah. humbling thing to hear because you once again, you never know who's listening and and to be even mentioned like that uh you know, at the beginning of somebody else's Ninja Turtle episode. Um it's just what a rewarding feeling and we can't thank you enough and we wish you the absolute best of luck uh with your show. I'll be listening for sure and I'll provide a link in the show notes. Again, it's called Booyaka Show. I think there are three episode, episodes in as of this morning. Very, very impressed so far by what I've heard. And I will definitely try to catch up with the series by the next uh, episode we record. So thanks again, man. As soon as we're done, I'm going to go subscribe. Yeah, another thing that um, I think is really, really cool is he's going to try to keep everything clean. You know, it's it's not uh, necessarily vulgar or things like that. And I know, you know, that probably doesn't bother most people. but It's um, not an episode of Bargain Bin Radio, is it? <laughs> Well, shall we get into the Totally Tubular Toy Review? Okay, yeah, let's get ready. All right, let's do it. All right. Hey, did she say pizza? So you live in an antique store? Yep, pizza. Mm. Above, actually. Well, I was going to give you guys a tour of the store. Ready? So, uh, so, Josh, what are we covering today, my man? So today we have got a review from me, of course, of the 2012 Nickelodeon Ninja Turtles right here. I'm not going to go over every single figure. I've got the four turtles. I'm not going to go over all four of them, but they just kind of stand right here on my shelves up here. And I don't think, honestly, these are the turtles from the cartoon. I kind of think that these are the IDW series turtles. You know, because they don't, to me, they don't really look like the Ninja Turtles from the, from the Nick series. Because their color palettes are all different. Uh, What I really love about this one is originally in 1988 when the toys came out, the turtles were all one height. They're all one three and a half inch figure. And all these turtles have different heights. You know, like Michelangelo is the shortest, Donatello is the tallest. Uh, 
Raphael is actually the broadest turtle, and Leonardo's a great in-between for all of them. Like, here's a, for nobody listening, but for Rob, who's actually watching, <laughs> here's a good differentiation between Michelangelo and Raphael, you know. You know, the shading's very different, too. Yeah, and there's a lot of great effects on here. Like, you know, Raphael's got the giant crack in his shell. All the bandanas have little nicks and cuts on them. There's scraping effects on the shell that actually show off battle damage from training and fighting the Foot Clan or whatever. Everybody, like, even their uh, elbow and knee pads and the uh, wraps around their hands and feet are all different colors from each other. The facial gestures are all different, which I thought is great. That's a nice touch. Yeah. The bandanas all flap in a weird way, weird, different, (laughs) distinctive uh, direction. They're all of different lengths, too. So... The only thing that I think every basic Ninja Turtle figure uh, has the same fault for me, and it's that, and I know why, I'm not complaining, but it's that the weapons are always just one color, like you see. Yeah, the gray. They're always just like a tan, a light brown, dark orange kind of color, you know? Yeah. Almost like a piece of wood. (laughs) Yeah, exactly, which makes sense for Donatello, but, and then actually, I shouldn't say that because... Leonardo's swords and Raphael's size all have, they're all gray. So there is that distinction, but it's all one one color, you know, which is fine because when you're mass producing a toy, it's not like when they're making a specialty statue or a specialty NECA figure where they're only going to make, I don't know, 10,000 figures, whereas these Ninja Turtles from Playmates are mass producing the millions probably, Yeah, you know. Or maybe hundreds of thousands. Let me say it that way. So, but yeah, they're great. They've got plenty of articulation. I was super, super impressed by how much I could actually pose these and articulate them. You know, it's kind of like the old figures. You move their arms up and down. Their wrists had some good turning action and their feet. Uh, there was no bending at the knees, but their legs at the hips would move around. And then their heads, these heads are all ball jointed. Whereas the Ninja Turtles... In the uh, in the '80s series, just kind of like move side to side, and that was it. So, but yeah, they they have a surprising amount of articulation. Great for somebody like me who's just going to put them on a shelf and just <laughs> look at them, you know. But for a kid, I mean, these toys are incredibly durable. One thing I didn't realize is how durable all of the there's all of the Ninja Turtle figures actually are. There's very few that you just kind of look at and kind of break, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean. I do a lot of. I used to do a lot of painting on my old figures and stuff like that. And one thing that you have to do because every figure has a coating of plastic on it. One thing you have to do is just take some soap and a toothbrush and kind of scrub all that stuff off. And they tell you not to worry about scrubbing too hard because these things are made. Action figures are made for kids to like basically flush down a toilet. Or, <laughs> you know, you can do anything but shoot them with a gun and they're going to survive. You know, very true. Very true. I can't. So, I can think of so many different, you know, dollar store army men that went down the toilet that I owned. <laughs> uh, yeah, army men. I had bad experiences with army men. I had I tripped when I was a kid and I was playing with my army men and I tripped and fell on like forty of them. So oh. it was like a, on a bed of nails. So. <laughs> oh. I don't like these anymore. So. <laughs> Great. These these definitely the 2012 Nick, the first Nick series of. Uh, 
turtle figures. It, they definitely, to me, look like the IDW characters. They don't look like the comic characters or the uh, cartoon characters. You know, I can kind of see that, especially Michelangelo. Yeah. Yeah. Michael, I want to see how much they are going for online right now. So, Nick series. They're turtles. pretty common. I mean, you can get them. You can get like all four of them in a bundle on Amazon, pretty on the cheap, pretty much. Yeah, so, yeah. I'm looking at a box. A uh, box copy of Michelangelo right now is eight ninety nine on eBay. So yeah, yeah, these are still pretty cheap. They're pretty cheap, and you know what? They're, they're gonna be because they just. I mean, you can still find them at Target and Walmart and stuff like that. Yeah, where after line, a while, yeah. what's that? The first line, right? Yeah. Yeah, the first one. Yeah, because I mean, they just keep putting them in a different box. Yeah. <laughs> and shipping them out, so which is fine because I remember when I was a kid, and when I'm sure you had the same experience. After like like the turtle figures came out in 1988, mm-hmm. let's say you got into the turtles like a lot of us did, not not me specifically, but like in 1992 or 93. Yeah, and you wanted the original four characters, but you could just never find them. Uh-huh. You know, I mean, like it was super hard to find them. Oh, true. And, yeah, yeah. And even though, like, I think around 95, they did eventually reprint them, and uh, like they they came in this big purple. Uh, on this big purple card that had just a generic looking sewer and then Ninja Turtles and then there was the old figure and they did a lot of reprints while they were still making new figures in the mid 90s so but if you wanted like the original brick explosion card <laughs> with the old figures it was really hard to find and they're still hard, they're very hard to find now that struggle is real because I remember when I was a kid well yeah all my friends had the original ones but for some for some reason, I never had any of the originals. I always had like the variants, you know, the undercover series. Yeah. Uh, I had. Um, I remember having uh, baseball Raphael and, and like astronaut Raphael. Like I always had all the variants, and I, I had some of the the variant villains and stuff. But never had the originals till I was much older. Yeah. See, I got in relatively early. Like my actually my first Ninja Turtle action figure was one of the. I don't know what they call them, like the wacky Ninja Turtles, where like you'd wind up a button and they all did something. Like the one that I had, the first one that I had, and that was that variation of figures was the only way to get a mouser at the time. <laughs> and um, the first Ninja Turtle figure I actually had was a sewer swimming Donatello, where you would crank a little key on his side and he his oh, legs. Oh, I remember him. Swim. Yep. <laughs> yeah, and we had a dog at the time. We had a little Jack Russell Terrier named Max. It was the only dog I ever had till I was an adult. And he actually bit the ever-living stuffing out of him, and like it had <laughs> legs. And so my mom told me, "Okay, well, I'll get you another one when we find one." I said, "Okay." So we were walking. Around, so that was my first one. And then we were a couple of weeks later. We were walking around Walgreens, and my first Ninja Turtle figure I got was actually Donatello, the original one. Oh, cool! So yeah, that's that's where it started for me for the toys, anyway. And then just I got hit by the bug, and my father didn't talk to me for years because. <laughs> Uh, Ninja Turtles. So you and I both start with uh, Donatello, huh? Yeah, yeah. And that was, you know, speaking of the old figures, I was so angry a couple about a year ago because I gave away my action figures when I was a teenager. Oh. Uh, because I because at the time I just thought I was too old for them, and you know I was, I just I didn't want to be embarrassed. You know, like a friend would come over and see me playing with action figures or something like that, they would laugh, and I'd I'd get really really embarrassed about it. So I, I, what I did was I didn't sell them or anything or throw them away. I gave them to the kids that lived in the apartment building I grew up in. 
just you know uh, just give a, a kid a couple of kids a few toys. I'm like, here you go, because I didn't want to waste them. Yeah, yeah. Well, and the turtles I had were like the soft-headed ones. Oh yeah, yeah. I remember those. The original line of Ninja Turtles. It was. They some of them had these really soft rubber-headed ones, and they're super rare. And I can't believe I got rid of them because they're <laughs> not like I would sell them. But it's good to know how much they were worth. You yeah. Know? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Darn. Well, <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's it's funny you bring that up. There was a point in time where I was kind of like a closet turtles fan. It was in the late '90s. You know, when it was. Uh, I I don't think anyone would ever been necessarily persecuted for wearing a Ninja Turtle shirt in the late '90s, but. Uh, there was a point in time where no one was in, you know, most people were not into it anymore. Now, I would get made fun of because I was a Power Rangers fan. Uh, I, I really was. I know. Yeah, I, I was too. But, uh, yeah, I remember um, there was a point in time where I did kind of get out of them for a little bit. Uh, I want to say around, like, probably from 97 to late 98. And I think uh-huh. in, in 99 I started getting back into them again. But, yeah, there was a point in time. <clears throat> I remember um, I, I, I definitely know it was 1999 because uh, – my folks had just sold their summer home, and I remember watching uh, the original Turtles movie like over and over one weekend there. It was like our last weekend there when they sold it. So I know I was back into it by the late 90s. But there was a point in time where I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm getting older now. Turtles is just a kid's show, which was kind of silly to think about because it was based on a an adult comic, you know? <laughs> yeah, I know, right. I, and I was – I never read the original – I really never read any Turtles comics until – uh, three years ago, just oh, wow. because, just because I couldn't find any of them, you know. Every yeah. now and then, I'd find an Archie comic and read that one of the Archie series, or I would find in around the early two thousands they actually made comic book adaptations of the two thousand three animated series, and I think it was from New Wave Comics or something like that. But I never saw any. I never saw any volume four comics, never saw never saw any volume one comics. It was really hard to find turtle comics. So kind of thank God for the IDW just like collecting and uh hardcovering a bunch of comics and just like sending them out there. So it's like I've read like the first I don't even know, because I've got I've I've read like the first, I don't know, twenty comics. I can't tell you how many times because that's just uh the ones that they keep reprinting. Yeah. And which is fine. And like the City at War arc, I know about that because of, I can show you right here. Nicole actually got me the fifth volume of the work series. Oh, cool. I love it. Yeah. Um, and even the uh, Ultimate Collections, like they, the last two volumes, they show off the, uh, they showcase the City at War arc. And that's one of my favorite stories. And the reason they showcase that, I think, is because that was the last Turtle story Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird put out. Right. So I was I was I was seriously in for a rude awakening a couple of years ago when I started reading old Turtles comics. I was like, "Wow, this is vastly different from everything I know." Right. <laughs> but it was but it was still very very familiar because there's the turtles right there, and plus our our show this show really before I was even involved with it really opened my eyes to a lot of stuff that Turtles was into because I had no idea there was a 2003 series. Um, oh really? No kidding. So you didn't see it on TV? Yeah, the animated show, because 2003, I was already out of high school. The job I had at the time, I worked at a hospital. I worked straight midnights for three years, so I didn't watch TV. Oh, wow. And then after that, I quit and I joined the Army. So there was about a good seven years of my life where I didn't watch TV. Wow, no kidding. 
Yeah, I didn't didn't go to any because I for when I was in the army, I was out of the country, so um, I didn't go to comic book shops. I didn't go, you know, I went to bars. You know, so <laughs> if I could do it again, I'd probably try to find comic book shops instead of hanging out. Don't hang out in bars all the time, kids. Don't do that. <laughs> Learn from Uncle Josh. You know? Well, you know that that's so cool though because you know now that we have the show, we have to force ourselves to do it. Got to cover it all. Yeah, oh, darn. Yeah, <laughs> I know, I know. You know, that's that's a good problem to have. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I, and I, I'm really, really appreciative of all like the things that I love about feedback from fans. We were talking about is like just finding out different aspects of the turtle comics. You know, it's just yeah. You know, somebody, a friend of mine, had asked me on Facebook, it's like, have you ever read the Image series? I was like, what's that mean? Because I didn't know Image put out uh, turtles comics. Oh yeah, at the time I didn't either. No. Yeah, and like I thought of Image, I immediately I was a huge Spawn fan too. I did see a I thought it was a one-off thing, but like I saw a Savage Dragon comic and it had the Ninja Turtles in it. I mean, I know I've mentioned it before because yeah. I was a big fan of the Savage Dragon cartoon that was on the USA network at the time. Mm-hmm. So I just found out about all these different aspects of the Turtles over the past few years. So it's it's been a, a real good education. Oh, absolutely, man. Well, hopefully we'll be doing this for years and years and years to come. We'll be old men. Oh yeah. Still talking man. about those toitles. <laughs> be the octogenarian Ninja Turtles right then. So. <laughs> exactly. Well, sweet man. So, any uh, final thoughts on uh, those toys? So, like, uh, like how many slices of pizza would you give uh, give those toys? Oh man, you know what, man? It's it's really hard not to give these figures just a straight up ten. I'm gonna give them a nine just because I'm gonna ding them a little bit on the weapon articulation or the the weapon coloring. Just mm-hmm. even though I recognize. Every version of the Ninja Turtle figures has done that, right? With the exception of like the NECA Turtles or something. So I'm going to give them a solid nine. These are some great figures to have. They're super durable. They're beautiful figures in terms of the sculpting and the coloring. There's a great attention to detail. Um, and just if you're a fan of the Nick, if you're a fan of Turtles, you you owe it to yourself to get these figures. Yeah, very true, very true. I actually am very, very impressed with the Nickelodeon uh, series so far, the the figures. Um, I've got a, a, quite a bit of them. I've got all four of the um, Turtles from the original line. Uh, Splinter, which, by the way, the Nickelodeon Splinter, probably my... Oh, it's a tie between the Nickelodeon one and the original cartoon Splinter as my favorite Splinter of all time. Oh, that, I... I got to give it to the Nick series. They, they, that's the best. Really? No kidding. I, yeah. I, I didn't think you'd say that since you're kind of like 50, 50 on the Nick I am series. A purist, I'm a purist for the original series, but like this version of Splinter is just, that's what I think of when I think of Splinter. Oh, interesting. He has some good moments in the cartoon we're going to talk about today. Yeah. Whenever I, whenever I write Splinter, I always think of that Splinter and, but like in my head, the voice of the original Splinter comes out. Oh, interesting. Oh, cool, yeah, so cool. Whenever, or whenever I read, you know, the, the IDW comics, I, I hear the original Splinter, but I, like, this is the 2012 Nickelodeon Splinter. Yeah. I, you know, he's a little bit harsher in the comics than he is in the cartoon, and which is good, you know, because in, it's a kid's cartoon. This is a teenager's comic, basically. Right. <laughs> you know, and, and that's not a detriment to either one, but yeah, I think... I think the Nickelodeon series has got the best version of Splinter. Oh, yeah. Well, I'll tell you, um, I can't wait till we get to the last episode of the first season of the Nick series because that was like the end-all, be-all for me of what I think Splinter – the reason I love Splinter so much. So, okay. Yeah, I can't wait till we talk about that it. one. So Ooh. Have... Oh, you're missing out, my friend. That's a good one. Yeah, see, I came in with it at – I came in with it at season two. 
So even though I've got season one, I just I haven't seen all of it yet. I I love the first uh, first episode. Watch the season finale. It's a two-parter, and let me know what you think because I think that's when I finally said, "Oh my gosh, I love the Nick series," because they had put a whole twist on Karai and uh, you know how Splinter ties in with everything. It's yeah. pretty cool, and then the fight scenes are out of this world in that first season. So yeah, and you know, I I definitely I, I've listened to a few of our podcasts, and I definitely sound like I'm just down on this new stuff for the turtles, and I. I I really, in my opinion, and I really am not. I recognize how great all of this stuff is, and it's not like I think I could do a better job. Oh no, no, no! We all have our preferences. Yeah, and and I never could. It's like you know what? We keep talking about the IDW series. Um, I I was thinking about how I don't really care for the for Dan Duncan's art. After I I have read every issue, starting from issue whatever. Uh, specifically like issue 40 all the way up until 60 and last night was the first time i really reread those early issues and the artwork really is working for me this time really no kidding yeah because i was just looking at it and i was like you know what man just for the story that they're telling like i really love dan duncan's attention to detail when like specifically there's a their their turtles are being attacked by the mausers i really really love just how much he conveys specifically like little instances like where you can see like Raphael's afraid. Oh, big time, big time. Of being swarmed by these uh Mausers. And the and a lot of it's also just uh Tom Waltz's writing too. Where Tom Waltz and Kevin Eastman where Donatello immediately just figures out how to take out the Mausers. I it really is working for me this time. I really uh, so if Dan Duncan, if you're if you ever listen to this show, first of all, thank you for listening. We're we're honored. Thank, <laughs> yeah, thank you. But I apologize for everything that I said. It's not just him trying to do Jim Lawson. I totally get what he's doing this time. Yeah, I, and, I apologize for Josh too. Yeah, yes, please do. I need all that I can get because I really do get what he's doing this time. I, oh, I cool. really, it just works this time. Going back to the original comics in 2000. 11 I think it was Mm -hmm. after five years of reading it I really get what they were doing this time hello violators you're in Casey's comic classroom prepare to be schooled awesome so hey speaking of which let's just get right into it what do you say issue number eight on the IDW mutation station we're back to the station all right going back i I always (laughs) want to do that oh that's great yeah this one um you know it's so funny i have every single issue except for this one uh at my house (laughs) i i I didn't know it at the time because i was like okay we're on i remember we were on eight of everything for the nick series so i was like okay let me it was this morning that i I figured it out because i'm a slacker and i waited the last minute Mm -hmm. i pulled down my comics and i see seven I see nine all the way up to like issue fifty or issue to sixty as a matter of fact or sixty one. I just got that yesterday. Anyway, so that's the only one I didn't have. So I was like, oh crud. So I, I got on Comixology real quick, downloaded it. Downloaded. Um and man, I not to give everything away right away, but uh kinda like you've hit, been hitting around to it. Um I love the pacing of this particular story. I was yeah. so so blown away because I don't know if I actually read this one before because I never obviously owned it. So 
I, I do remember when the Mausers had shown up. I do remember the previous issue and the whole reason the Mausers are there in the first place. They, uh, they, um, I think it was. Okay, from what I remember of the storyline, Baxter Stockman, um, he's been hired by Krang, General Krang, to come up with this um, mutagen for super soldiers. And in order to get the mutagen, um, he has to track down Splinter, who's obviously gotten away during that, that lab fire. So he sends out these Mausers to trap Splinter. And um, in this issue, actually, his mission is accomplished. We're going to talk about that, but... Uh, yeah, but the whole premise of this issue is um, he Baxter, he's stuck between a rock and a hard place because Krang is literally there in his office going, hey, where's Splinter? I need I need Splinter. You said yeah. you need to have this mutagen and you need Splinter. Where is he? So Krang's putting the, the heat on Baxter. Baxter hires old Hob to use the Mausers with his control to attack the Turtles, distract them, and kidnap Splinter. So that, that's the whole premise of this episode. But plus, you know, but the, uh, going back to the pacing, in between all that, we get this really, really interesting back and forth between Casey and April. And the coolest thing is, I think this is the first time in the comic books that it's been this long and April hasn't really seen the mutated turtles yet. Because this is, this is issue eight. Yeah. And, I mean, in the original series, it was like issue two. She met the turtles. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and um, the cartoon episodes, it's within like the first or second episode every time. Yeah, I know it's within five minutes of every first episode, you know? Right? Although I will say kudos to this comic book because in every single one that I've seen, every single incarnation of April first seeing the Turtles, she faints. So and this comic book keeps it going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I love – it seems so natural in this uh, series how Casey and April met each other. Yeah. Because that's another little story thread that's woven in here is like Casey and April – at least from Casey's perspective, he's immediately smitten with April. Oh, yeah. And I really, really like that. And you get a little, a couple of hints of both of their backstories uh, because we'll get into it. Um, we'll get into what their, what their story is. And, of course, if you've been reading up to issue eight, you know that at this point, Raphael and Casey Jones are already friends. He's already met all the Turtles and Splinter. Um, mm -hmm. So... It's real, and he's already the hockey mask vigilante at this point, you know, because he had to learn how to fight to defend himself from his father, uh, yeah. Arnold. Big time, big time. Yeah. So, which is so sad too, you know. Yeah, and it's one yeah. of the things that I really, really love about Casey in this, in the early issues here. Well, me too, because you know he's he's respecting his mom's dying wishes to take care of his dad, no, d yeah. despite how abusive, despite how seemingly lost he is you know when he drinks casey jones still takes care of him you know is he is he happy doing it obviously not but uh mm -hmm. he's still like he's still carrying out his his promise and his duty um to his mom yeah and then you find out um uh april also has some family baggage too because uh yeah. April's, april and casey are both college students they're both at the same university and um, April almost dropped out of college because her father had a stroke uh, two years before, I think it said. Um, she was going to drop out of college to help out her mom, who's trying to take care of her dad. And her mom absolutely refused because of how hard she worked on a scholarship to, to attend the university. And so great little details like that show you exactly who these characters are. 
you oh, know, absolutely. Already, already that you see how great those two are. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, you you can tell they're they're given their backgrounds already. You know, they they trust each other already. And uh, I have to say, I really like Dan Duncan's version of Casey Jones. I, I I like how he looks. He's not too big and buff. He just looks like a regular guy, but he's still really tough. You know, so. Yeah, and that that took me a bit to get. I think just because how different this series is, right from its inception, mm-hmm. I think that's what it what took me some time to get used to Dan Duncan's art. Because when I think, and it's my own fault, because when I think of Casey, I think of a dude who's just a mountain. You know, he <laughs> he really is. He's a guy who just can't even fit into a car. You know, and that's because <laughs> that's how he's always been uh, represented. You know, he's always just been this giant meathead of a guy. Well, see, that's so funny that you mentioned that. Like, when I when I think of Casey, I think of the 1990 uh, Elias Cotillas or, or Coates. Oh, yeah. I think of that yeah. Casey, you know. So, like, every comic I read, I, I expect him to look like that. So it's funny, like, what our perceptions of these characters, what we think they should be. Yeah. Know? And, you know, my first uh, interaction with Casey Jones was in the original cartoon where he was this, huge, like, yeah, seven-foot-tall. Like, there's a scene in the original cartoon where he um, is introduced in season three where he grabs Raphael by his shoulder and just kind of, like, lifts him up to his eye level. <laughs> <laughs> and just, like, one-handed, too. Like, grabs him with one hand and just lifts him up. And it, it's really, really funny. And also, I, I was... I thought it was kind of a disappointment that in the original series, Casey Jones is only in three episodes. With yeah, like, yeah, he's not in there much. Yeah, with how much of an impact he's had on the series, you'd think he'd be in there, just like the 2012 Nickelodeon series. He's in there now. He's in there every other episode. Right, right. Probably my least favorite version of Casey Jones, by the way. Yeah, I know. We've talked about it before, right? Uh, yeah. Nah, he'll get there. And it and you know what? It's probably just because and April too. It's just because they're so young. Yeah. And they had to be because you know they they wanted to interact with the turtles. That know? makes sense. And you know, really honestly, it's a kids show. You know, so yeah, they they probably wanted to create characters that were that were more that would more appeal to kids. You know, or have more in common with the, their audience. So I understand. My that. complaints about the Nickelodeon series is purely my fault because I'm an adult. You know, I I would think I. I know that they have to be like teenagers because as an adult, I kind of recognize it's kind of weird that these two adults are hanging out with these kids, basically, you right. know, it, <laughs> yeah. it, it's a little weird, you know, right. If it wasn't Ninja Turtles and it was just for Ninja, for Ninja brothers, it would look kind of weird to anybody. Well, yeah. So this one opens up right away with action. I mean, it is just right out of the gates. There's monsters. They broke, broken in the sewer. Splinter is down. And the turtles are trying to um, fend them off, and I think this actually picks up right where the last issue left off because I remember, yeah. I do remember Leo saying, "I can't hold them off much longer." Um, yeah. So these mousers, by the way, they look great. Um, these mousers, they're surrounding the turtles, and we find that old Hobbs kind of in the foreground. Um, he's the one with the controller, and uh, this is still villain old Hob at this point. So it's before he's turned good. Yeah, and you know what? I oh God, I hate it. I'm going to say this. I really am kind of turning. Ah, well, welcome to the dark side. I kind of like old Hob now because I, after I read this issue, I went and read the villains, the villains micro series because I don't have the individual issues. I just get all these graphic novels here or the collections, I should say, the yeah. trade paperbacks. And I went and read the villains uh, trade paperback, and I read his issue specifically. Um. And, oh, God, I really feel bad <laughs> for 
old hob, you know, just I like do too. Is that the one where it shows him when he was a cat and then before he yeah, got transformed? He, he yeah, he was owned by a little boy named Billy, and his his mom got PO'd because Billy didn't clean up the litter box, and so she grabs the grabs old hob by the neck and th- literally whips him out yeah. of of the out of a window or something like that. And now old hob is, uh, and you find out that Billy named his cat Hob. Yeah, you know so. That's what he remembers. He uh, remembers that he was called Hob. And I'll tell you, man, animal abuse pulls on my heartstrings every time, man. Uh, you know, it's like I, I guess I'm so dis- – you know, and I guess we as, as a society were so des- desensitized, you know, when, when people get killed in a movie or something like that. But, boy, when a when an animal gets injured, oh, something about that gets me every time, even in comic book form. But anyway, so, so when, when I – old Hob was abused like that, that, that was when I was like, okay, I kind of – that – in a way, humanized him, even though he's a cat. But you know what I mean. Um, I really love – well, you're not wrong saying humanized because I really loved the little detail that they pulled when he was mutated and now he's a human and he's looking at himself where like where my legs used to be. Now I have arms and all of a sudden I hear people talking and words – what they used to say never made sense. But now I understood it was English and now I can say it. And it was just what the mutagen did to him. It was really, really cool. I loved those twists. And where it's like, there's no... I always feel like when I'm writing, I have to explain every single thing. But from Han, or Han, uh, from Hobbes' perspective, it's just like, I don't understand it. and I don't really feel the need to, add, to question it. I just speak English now. It's like, you know what? Yeah, that works. I really appreciate that. I really enjoy that. Yeah, absolutely. So... Yeah, I mean, he's he's inflicting all this damage right now. Still villain hob at this point. And uh, there's one particular, I think it's page three. There's a panel where um, old hobby finally flicks a switch. I, where I guess they're super aggressive at this point, the Mausers. And they've got uh, Michelangelo pinned um, pretty pretty badly. And then, oh, it's, it's horrifying to look at that page. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and then right there, once again, the pacing's great in this, this issue. So we get this uh, pretty witty exchange between Krang and... Um, Baxter Stockman. And Baxter, you know, he's trying to play a cool offering Krang a drink and all these things. And Krang's got his stone stone soldiers uh, with him. And he's like, I don't want your drink. I want results. And you better, for for your own sake, for your own life, you better have the results for me tonight. You know, and, and he gives him an ultimatum. I guess if you're a reader, you would be asking the same question because he's, uh, Krang goes, well, wait a minute. Why do we need... Why do we need Splinter's blood? Why can't we just get Old Hobbs blood? For, you know, for this superhero what, what serum. Yeah, the super soldier. Super soldier. Yeah, do. yeah. And uh, and basically, you know, Baxter explains his way out of that. He says, "Well, you know, we needed a pure sample, and whereas Old Hob, I guess his blood sample wasn't pure. He knows for a fact that Splinter's was because he was one of the ones who injected him. You know, personally." Mm-hmm. So yeah. that's why he needs Splinter's blood specifically. Yeah, he's, he explicitly states that Splint, the rat, as he says it, uh, was injected with a non-tainted form of the cypotropic. Yeah. Uh, so there is a psycho, uh, psychological effect that the mutagen has on all these characters, too. And I love how they mention Alpex, too, that you know, there's another one out there that for some reason – it's kind of cool because it's like you know, there's, there's a side series going on in the background – but mm-hmm. here in the foreground, we got Krang, but you, it also references what Split, uh, Shredder's up to in the background yeah. because he's he's messing around with the serum to create Alapex. Uh, so, you know, interesting stuff going on there. 
Yeah, specifically like Karai is messing with them too because Karai yeah. later on will create Bebop and Rocksteady. Oh, yeah. yes, yes. And I love how Krang's like, I don't care about, you know, what my nemesis is doing or what my uh, – he's like, he, I'll crush him too when the time comes. So yeah. Krang is cocky, my goodness. But I like it. Man, I love the design of Krang in this because you don't even oh. realize – you don't even realize there's a brain in there, you know, like the, the brain crane, you know? Yeah, he looks great. Uh, you don't know that this is the android body that he's controlling. Right. And he just looks so – he's got this big black trench coat on and all, and the collar popped. He's the only one that can pop a collar and you don't just <laughs> – and you immediately take him seriously. Well, but yeah, all yeah. you can see is his eyes and he's got these red eyes and he's got the uh, black beret on. Uh, because this is general, you know. Yep. Really, really, just love this. I almost wish they had just stuck with this version of this design of Krang for the whole series, and then at the end in the uh, Attack on Technodrome series, that's when you see the big reveal that it's the Krang, the yeah. brain in there. You know, I absolutely love it. And I was talking specifically about how I, I flipped my opinion on Old Hob. I kind of like him now. I will never change my opinion on Baxter Stockman. He is just a greasy... He's a snake. SOB. <laughs> He's got to be taken out. When the turtles see him, send in Raphael. Have, tell him, like, dude, don't hold back. We don't want this guy around anymore. Get rid of him, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, first of all, he, he gives him an ultimatum, but um, the whole reason he needs the serum, um, or super soldier serum, is because his army is losing the war against the neutrinos yeah uh and he's like i need the x factor i need these soldiers because you know my um the members of my race th were dying we're losing this war the stone soldiers are losing mm -hmm. so um and then here's what he says he says fact number one this person you call my competitor and he's referring to shredder here the ninja is nothing more than a nuisance a bug waiting to be swatted when the time comes all right then uh, let's see fact number two the success of my mission is all that matters. Unfortunately, the only ones with the technical knowledge that I need are not exactly cooperating. Um, and then fact number three. Your own pathetic ex existence is at risk. I need disciplined, intelligent, mutant super soldiers. If you succeed, I will make you a very rich and powerful man. And if you fail, you die. Your time is running out, Stockman, so all I can say is... Click over to the next slide... That darn cat better get what you sent him for. And by the way, speaking of that, it's like quite some language in this issue. Yeah, you know, it really does push the uh, the PG-13 boundaries oh, big in, time. in this series. You know, I mean, or, you know what, I don't even think they're really pushing any more boundaries than regular comics do. It's just, we haven't seen that, we haven't seen the Turtles this uh, mature, Yeah, you know, in a long time, I think, because... And that's, again, our own biases. We think of, specifically you and I, we think of the 80s cartoon series where everything was just ha-ha-ha, yuck-yuck kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. But this series is just, it is a slap in the face, you know, in a good way. It, it really wakes you up to the reality of what these turtles are dealing with and how and we've never seen Krang this dangerous before. Big time, big time. And you know what? You know, when I first read this, you know, you're thinking, well, there's no way Baxter's going to actually succeed. But guess what? It's Old Hob that he put the mission up to. And guess what? Old Hob got the job done. Yeah. He, he really old did. Old Hob gets results. Say what you will about Hob. He gets results. He gets results. He got the job done. He distracted the turtles, and uh, he took he took Splinter. And it takes a while for the turtles to figure out that he's gone. And then I love this. So it's a cutaway to 
a donut shop, and it's Dunkin' Donut. Did you catch that? Dan Dunkin'. Yeah, there we there go. go. <laughs> yeah, see, I can't be mad at a guy who owns his own donut shop, man. I mean, that's you know? the dream. This is, this is very much my favorite part of this issue is the whole Casey and April interaction here because, like, um, the whole reason Casey and April know each other is Casey's very quickly failing out of school. He uh, is not the best uh, academic Students, you know, he got into college on a on an athletic scholarship for hockey, and he his coach told him it's just like, dude, if you don't get your grades up, you're not going to play next season. That's 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 yeah. it. You know, I'm sorry to tell you this because he's a good player, you know, and great hockey player, and so he sees a uh, advertisement pinned up on a billboard for one of those. Um, you know, April O'Neil's offering. Uh, tutoring for students that aren't doing so great and she did the thing where you know she wrote her number on the little strips of paper that you're supposed to take one and so (laughs) instead of risk losing april's uh tutorship to anybody he takes the whole advertisement off the billboard right and like i think it's the previous issue in issue six or seven he does that and so he talks to april about um paying her for uh tutoring and he says, you know, she tells him something along the lines of, you know, you don't have to pay me. I've noticed that uh, you can take care of yourself on the ice. Can you teach me how to fight? And he's like, yeah, sure, no problem. Because at this time, April's really freaked out because she worked at, I think it was Stock Gen Labs. She's an intern there. And the Foot Clan tried stealing the mutagen, and that's the whole origin story. So she wants to be able to defend herself from something like that happening again, just in case it does happen. Very true. And so... So he just says, yeah, sure, no problem. I'll teach you how to box. And he is immediately smitten because she's a very pretty girl. And I get the feeling that Casey Jones doesn't really get a lot of attention from anybody, you know? Ah, true, true. So this is probably the – given his background, this is probably the first time a girl has ever really crossed his radar, you know, just like in terms of, whoa, what a babe, you know? (laughs) Because at this point, like, he's already friends with Angel. He knows Angel, thinks of her as, like, just a friend. Yeah. And so when he's talking with April, he starts talking about himself more than I think he ever has with anybody. And he mentions his father being a drunk and him having to defend himself against his dad. April mentions that her dad had a stroke a couple years before. And they find out that they have a lot in common where... They are both, even though he's from a broken home, he always, I kind of get the feeling that he kind of envies the family life that she has. Right. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. So I I love this exchange between the two. You know, this is the first time they're really kind of sitting down and actually, you know, having a deep conversation here and and being very honest. Yeah. And, um, so, you know, right back to the action, um, the turtles, they're, they're trying their best to fend all these Mausers when, uh, Donatello finally gets, uh, Oh, by the way, the artwork for these fight scenes, amazing. I, I, th- yeah. I thought they were fantastic. But finally, um, oh, one more thing before Donatello figures everything out. So Donatello, he, he has them all get in this single file behind him so that all the, the mousers will just track specifically Donatello. And my, one of my favorite panels, just because it looks so cool, is, is when you actually see Donatello leading the charge, holding his bow staff, and it's through the mousers' point of view. So Donatello's... Oh yeah. yeah, it looks great. It looks like like a Terminator shot where you know, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, he's all glowing in red and and everything, and you see like these numbers on the side, like it's scanning his target. Uh, 
Really, really cool shot. Um, and then again, Casey Jones it cuts back to Casey. Great pacing once again. Uh, and Casey's like, hey, you know, those rats and that uh, – or that rat and those turtles you were mentioning, um, I know exactly who you're talking about, and I want to show you something. So they hop in the little Volkswagen van, and at first – April's like, ooh, this is kind of a shady neighborhood there, Casey. I, I don't think uh, it's a good idea we go here. He's like, oh, yeah, we're not going in. I get the feeling like she's like trying to see if she remembered to bring her pepper spray with right? her. <laughs> He's like, oh, don't worry. We're not going to any of the buildings. We're actually going to the sewer. Yeah, we're going someplace <laughs> worse. Yeah. Right, right. So Casey's completely oblivious that all this stuff's going on with the turtles. So then cut away right back to the turtles, uh, and Donatello figures it out. Um, and uh, they all flank they all hop from behind Donatello, um, and they all flank the Mausers at the same time and make pretty short work of them. Uh, and the artwork for these panels looks awesome. You know, you, and they dedicated each panel to like one of the turtles bashing these Mausers. Yeah, yeah, artwork looks amazing. And there's one um, where Leonardo's slicing one in half. That just looks great. It looks absolutely awesome. Yeah, I get what they were going for, where it was kind of like you know, we have to formulate an attack to take down these Mausers, but I kind of, they only do the whole formation, like single file formation, okay, flank them and attack thing once. So I was kind of thinking, you know, you probably would have been fine. You just kind of, <laughs> yeah, you kind of, it looked like you were almost done if you only had the fan out one time. Right. <laughs> <laughs> True. Yeah. Cause they only did that once. Yeah. Very good point. Yeah. And, but I mean, I love, I love how they, how Donatello figured it out. It was like these things based their targets on side on shape. So it's like if we give them one person to focus on, and they they don't specifically say it, but if you look at the artwork, all the tur- all the Mausers form into a, a single file line too. Yeah, yeah, they do. Kind of like don't just they? like fan out and get them from all sides afterwards. So right, and, and once again we get uh, you know Donatello's kind of personality here. You know, so it's he's the one who figures it out. So it's it's great that yeah. they showcase that you know being his strength there. So finally, April and Casey they show up after all the work's done. And the turtles finally realize, hey, where's Splinter? <laughs> then poor April, she finally sees the turtles, faints into Casey's arms. Yeah. And uh, they're like, yeah, she's, she's a pretty girl there, Case, but uh, we don't really have time for this. We got to go. We got to go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I love Casey's little, he's talking to himself, and he's like, I really wish I didn't teach this girl how to punch because she's going to kick my butt when she, she wakes, wakes up. She wakes up, yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, that's, and that's a great scene, too, because, uh, you know, it shows Casey holding April, who's fainted in his arms. And it just shows all the destruction of all the Mausers still sparking and everything, you know, just torn apart. And mm-hmm. that's the end of the issue. So, you know, I think this was a little bit more than a setup issue because we finally get some payoff with some stuff, you know, between um, Casey and uh, April really kind of getting to know each other. And you kind of you can kind of see in the making that they're starting to kind of fall for each other in a way. The Turtles... You know, there's been talks. You know, Baxter was saying, "Oh yeah, we got to get Splinter. We got to get Splinter." Well, guess what? They actually got him in this one, mm-hmm. um, so it did happen. Old Hob, you know, definitely came through. I, I think we're just waiting to see what's going to happen with the Super Soldier Serum. So, you know, I, I thought this was probably, in my opinion, one of the best issues up to this point because I just think the pacing was so well done. Because you'd get to the climax of something, and then it would get over to something else, but it was still interesting what you were getting to, which for some books, it's like I'd read a few chapters, I'd get really, really attached to these certain characters, and there'd be something major about to happen, and then they'd kind of move on to another character, reintroduce another character, and it took forever to get interesting again. Not this comic. 
they kind of they kind of ran into that with the recent stuff with the Leatherhead series, you know, where it was True. all of a sudden Kitsune's and not that it's bad, but like with Kitsune who's had this long form plan over the last sixty issues, and now it looks like she's finally ramping up with her and Alapex are gonna take out the turtles, but now we gotta go to Burnow Island. Ah, and true. we're gonna spend three issues here. It's kinda like, oh man, alright, yeah. fine. And but the Leatherhead stuff was great, and it introduced Leatherhead and a bunch of the Utrams, a bunch of the newly awakened Utrams, mm-hmm. and destruction of Fugitoid. Spoilers, but you know, right? But it took a few issues to kind of really get into it. Yeah, definitely. It it that's kind of why I kind of until we started the Mutation Station show, I just I just would collect these uh, collected editions, so I wouldn't have to worry about waiting month to month. Of like, oh my god, what's going to happen? Yeah. You know, I just wanted to avoid that, and oh, thanks. Yeah. So. <laughs> Absolutely. So uh, so how many slices of pizza would you give this at a 10? I'd, I'd give this a, uh, oh man, it's really hard to score this one just because it's been so long since I read it originally. So like when I first read it, it was probably about an 8, and I'm going to stay there because it's this is a great, I always say that these, whatever issue we're reading is kind of like a good setup issue. That's a big theme with this series where yeah. it's set up, set up, set up, payoff. Yeah. You know, set up, set up, set up, payoff. So, and usually I think like their timing is about every five issues. You're going to get four issues of setup and then you're going to get one issue of just fights. You know, yeah. that's, that's <laughs> what I think they do here. And that's great. That's good because like the details in there. This is a very detail-oriented series, and that's that's really what hits me. So I'm I'm gonna give this a good solid eight. You know, this is an issue that you should have. You know, you should read this. Absolutely, yeah. And for the same reasons I mentioned earlier, yeah, I'd give it an eight as well. I mean, it's it's definitely not the end of the story arc. Um, and usually I rank those a little bit higher because usually the payoffs in, in the IDW series are really really good. So mm-hmm. um, you know, but I think there were some satisfying things that happened in this particular issue that make it worthy of being an 8 out of 10 because um, I really, like I said, like the exchange between um, Casey and April. We finally get inside both of their heads. Um, And I I love that Krang is so fed up with Baxter at this point that he's literally sitting in his office. No more phone calls, none of that crap. He he wants results that night. And if, you know, if Slur does not show up, Baxter's dead. You Mm -hmm. know, so... I love that. Um, I really, really like the pacing. I love the art style of this issue, the dialogue. Um, you know, it, it was great, great issue. I thoroughly enjoyed this issue, um, and I, I got to buy it. I got to add it to my collection. Yeah, <laughs> that's the one. That's the one that's gotten away. Yeah, you know, I'm I I'm fighting the temptation to buy these old comics. To, not old, but to buy these comics too. But just I'm just going to stick with the graphic novel. Oh yeah, yeah. that I have, just because. This is just so much easier. <laughs> oh, I, absolutely, I understand. <laughs> I've got I've got pretty much all of them on digital anyway, so yeah, yeah, no worries there. Yeah, I but, hear that. Yeah, it, this is, and this is such a great, such a great series because, like, at this point, I don't even think the turtles have met Shredder yet. I mean, they know about him. But I don't think they've been face to face with him. You know, I don't think outside of Krang and Splinter, I don't think anybody has, and. In this, in the second volume here that I'm that I'm reading from, it's called "Enemies Old, Enemies New," which is the storyline that issue eight kind of caps off. Um, you learn about the turtles' origin. 
you learn about Oroku Saki and Hamada Yoshi in feudal Japan and their relationship. And you learn about the threat of this gang called the Savat, which is... Um, I had no idea that Savat is French kickboxing. Oh, so I had no idea either. That that kind of explains the whole parkour aspect of them. <laughs> you know, parkour. Parkour. You know? <laughs> um, so the Savat... See, that's, see, Street Phantoms, that's how you do it. The Savat are deadly. They know what they're doing. They can fight and take <laughs> care of themselves. They're not a mafia stereotype. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, you brought up something that I... Th- is one of the main reasons I love this issue too though I love the fact that Shredder he's not been seen but this is the first time we see foreshadowing because Krang's like in time I will kill him but now's not the time and eventually that teases what happens later on because they have an epic fight and Krang does it looks like Krang's gonna win that fight oh you're you're talking about issue Oh, I, can't, I can't remember. Is it that long? Wow, I didn't know it was yeah. that much longer. But yeah, they eventually yeah. do have a showdown, and it is amazing. Yeah, and it's great. Like eventually, at that point, like Shredder goes to Krang to discuss peace between the two of them. Yeah, and Krang's like, nope, not doing. Yeah, it. he's kind of like you know, it's we're he goes to discuss peace and also employment. He's like the foot the foot clan will protect you from what you're gonna do. Yeah, you know, just in case. And Krang's like, I don't need your protection. Shredder's like, all right. It's yeah. on. And they fight. And, I mean, it's a yeah. bloody massacre. I mean, they are beating the snot out of each other. But I think, yeah. from what I remember, I think Krang ends up winning and then somebody ends up saving Shredder. Oh, he totally does. Yeah, at that yeah. point, he's got uh, two mutants. One of them's called Bludgeon, and it's a, a mutated great white shark. Oh, yes, I remember. Yep. And there's another mutant called, I think her name is Koya. She's a falcon. And I think I think it's a she, because I think Bludgeon uh, refers to that character and sister. I can't... It's been so long since yeah, I've read it. It's been a while. Yeah. Can't mm-hmm. wait until we get to that one. Probably about five years. Oh, yeah, in about <laughs> seven years. Yeah, there Yeah, yep. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Matt, where are you going? Out to a movie. That okay with you? Yeah. All right, guys. Today we're covering an episode called The Gauntlet, which, uh, unfortunately, I think this isn't the eighth episode I made a mistake there um, because I'm going by the box set that I have, and it looks like it's the eighth episode on the box set because I've got the season one and season two box set. And it looked like number eight on there, but technically, according to Josh's playlist and according to – actually, I'm looking at it on – The right information. Right. (laughs) The correct information. Uh, Yeah, I'm looking at it at the Turtle Wikipedia, and it does say the gauntlet is actually the ninth episode in season one, so – I, I dropped the ball on that one. I think the one <laughs> the eighth episode was actually Never Say Zever. But, um, but yeah, today we're going to go ahead and talk about uh, The Gauntlet, which was technically the ninth episode, but we'll, we'll pretend it was the eighth. <laughs> the eighth in spirit. So absolutely, this, absolutely. After I watched uh, The Gauntlet, it was like that was the one I wanted to talk about. Yeah, like just yeah. The last but... fight with uh, – or really the first fight with Shredder and the Turtles. was like, oh, man. Oh, this is, yeah. This is heavy. It was great. It was great. I really liked this episode. So this particular episode was uh, written by Joshua Sternin and J.R. Ventimila. I'm probably saying that wrong. Um, And it was released. It first aired on November 12th of 2012. So it's hard to believe this is, uh, you know, it's, what, four four years old already? I still see that. I still think of the Nickelodeon series as being, you know, brand spanking new, and it's not anymore. It's been around for quite some time. So... 
Um, so this episode, it opens up with April being chased by what we later find out is Pigeon Pete. Mm-hmm. I, I love I love Pigeon Pete. I love his voice, by the way. He, the, whoever the voice actor was was pretty hilarious for him. But, <laughs> yeah, but uh, April, she's terrified, um, you know, and she's running and everything. And eventually, poor Pigeon Pete, he flies no window in t- typical stereotypical bird fashion. Yeah, and then it's yeah. So it's a cutaway to the turtles training in the sewer, and uh, Donnie has made some smoke bombs, which Michael Michelangelo is immediately just fascinated by. And Donnie, you know, the whole time Donnie's like, "Now this took forever because I had to separate the eggshells from the yolks and, and do all these different things. It takes forever to build these." And of course, Michelangelo he's like, "I'm gonna go get a pizza." I'm gonna yeah, go, he starts oh. using them whenever he leaves a room. Right. Just, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, it's great. It's great. So April comes in absolutely distraught uh, about being stalked by the pigeon. Of course, Donatello's really playing it up. He's like, oh, don't worry, April. We'll protect you. No one, no one's going to harm my April. And then he looks over at the toy. He's like, I mean, our April. <laughs> so, uh, And, of course, you know, as April's telling this whole story, Raph's kind of cracking up. And then everyone looks at him like, dude, are you crazy? Seriously? She's upset. And, like, he cracks up three or four different times as she's trying to explain the whole pigeon thing. So basically, the turtles come up with a plan to use April as bait for this giant pigeon to see, you know, what yeah. he really wants. And uh, and it was cool because I paused uh, my DVD because I always saw that arcade machine in the background. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I finally got to see what it actually said on the marquee. And it says, Atomic Robo X. But it, look, <laughs> it looks just like a Donkey Kong cabinet. It looks awesome. Yeah, they've got a couple of those arcade machines. they got a couple of pinball machines in there, too. Oh, so. yeah, big time, big time. So Splinter, he's trying to warn him because he notices the turtles are getting a little bit cocky. He says, hey, you might want to study your enemy first before you just go out there and face this giant pigeon. And uh, Leo of all of them is like, Master, I think we can handle this. Uh, you know, we've done this. We've done that. You know, we can take care of a little pigeon. So all right, and Splinter's just like, all right, suit yourself. You learn the hard yeah, you way. Gotta, you got to let your kids make their own mistakes sometimes, man. Oh, you know? absolutely. That's this is specifically why Leonardo's never cocky. You know, it's like he's cocky once and learns his mistake. And yeah, that's it. yeah, 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 big time. So it cuts to is it Bradford? Bradford and yeah, Zever? Chris Bradford and Zever Montes. Yeah. Yes. So I, I just call him Dog Pan, Dog Pound, and uh, Fish Face in my notes because I couldn't remember their names. And I love how much Chris Bradford is just an homage to Chuck Norris. Oh, big time hair he and everything. Exactly like Chuck <laughs> Norris. It is so cool. It's like Delta Force. Oh, it's great. <laughs> Lone Wolf McQuaid. Here oh, he is. Can't go wrong with him. Uh, as, as a matter of fact, my uh, my little um, brother-in-law, he loves um, Walker, Texas Ranger. He loves it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, let's see. So Shredder, he's not happy with those two. And he's uh, he says to him, you know, you guys have failed me time and time again. This time I'm going to go after the turtles myself. So that kind of sets up what's going to happen later on um, in this episode. So meanwhile, the turtles, they're outside, and eventually they catch Pigeon Pete. And I love this. You know, April, finally when they're talking to Pete, they realize he's not such a bad guy. You know, and Pete's saying, oh, yeah, the Krang, they actually changed me into what I look like now. And then April, she's got this real disgusted voice or real disgusted um, expression on her face. She goes, that must have been horrible, being turned into a pigeon. And then Pete real nonchalantly goes, actually, I was born a pigeon. <laughs> so uh, just the way he said it, it was just like, hey, I, I was always a pigeon. Yeah, you know. Yeah, you yeah. know. So Pete has a message from uh, April's father, and it's, and basically he shows her this video, and the father's saying, you have to get out of the city. 
And we learn that the reason for that being is the Krang are eventually going to set off this bomb that's going to mutate the entire city. Yeah. But the, but the only thing is, like, I don't know why. What's the, what's the point? What's the motivation? Do the, the, the Krang want to take over the world? It's, yeah, at this point, it's the Krang, yeah, because, like, the Krang, uh, they are, the reason they kidnap April's father is because he's a scientist, and they make mention the fact that uh, physics in Dimension X work differently than physics in, on Earth. So they're capturing a bunch of scientists so they can, like, um, retrofit the mutagen to work on Earth the way they want it to. Okay, so, I got you. Yeah. So what they were going to do with the giant mutagen bomb, I'm not sure, but that's that's at least why they were kidnapping scientists, why they have April's dad. So. I got you. April, she's not going to leave the city without her father. She's already made up that in her mind. She's not leaving him hanging. So yeah. the turtle's like, okay, well, we'll get him and then we'll leave. So they break right. into the facility, and uh, I love how weak the Krang are now. They're so weak. Like the first few episodes, like they were – like Donatello was cracking his bow against one and they didn't move. Or, you know, you had Leonardo or um, Raphael hit him with the side. They, they barely flinched. Now yeah. they can cut him in half like it's no big deal. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know if they're using cheaper material now. I don't know. But um, Yeah, the first wave's made out of tinfoil or something like that. Right. So, <laughs> so uh, you know, and the turtles are kind of deciding, you know, they're, they're going to split up. And no one wants to hang out with Michelangelo. You know, everyone's like, oh, no, you, you hang out with Mikey. And then Mikey goes, you know, I'm starting to think that no one wants to be with me. <laughs> you know, so. A fi- so final yeah, line. so he just, like, smoke bombs and, like, ends up in a closet somewhere. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. And then, you know, I think eventually Michelangelo, Michelangelo goes with Donatello. And, of course, Donatello is trying to find out which room April's father's in. And Michelangelo is pushing all these shiny buttons. He's like, oh, what's this one do? Yeah. So, which uh, which uh, really does not help them out later. So. No, it does not. <laughs> oh, so Michael uh, Michelangelo, he trips the alarm. Uh, they eventually find April's dad, and they're about to break him out, but he stays to fend off the Krang and just tells the turtles, just go without me. I'll be fine. Go without yeah. me. In a really cool moment where he just picks up a gun and starts taking out Krangs. Yeah, yeah, yeah def- definitely a good shot there. And, of course, April witnesses all this because she's up on the rooftop feeding the rope to them as they're about to escape. So the turtles end up leaving for a little while, and then they come back. But it's a cool way they do it because the Krang, they're about to detonate this bomb. And uh, I think the first thing you see is Raphael. He's got, like, this explosive arrow, and he just, like, fires it right in the back of one of the Krang's head. And Mm -hmm. it just blows up. And I love how, you know, when when the robot bodies blow up, the little brains, they like kind of squeal like pigs. And... They, squ- they squ- <laughs> just like kind of squid their ways out of there. Yeah, you know? they're like, out of there, yeah. It's yeah, a... so creepy. But oh, like, I know. <laughs> you know, this is, I kind of don't really care for the really important Krang, you know, like, and that's yeah. probably just because of their voices where like, I love Gilbert Godfrey, I love Roseanne Barr, but I just, oh God, they just, <laughs> they, they don't work for me in this series. I, I love, I love the the way they talk though, like their vernacular. Oh God. Oh, they're so redundant. Yeah, they are. <laughs> and I really love how like the Prime Krang's characters, how they're just, they are just so, they think they're just so above everything. Oh yeah. <laughs> where they, they just have just such a disdain for everything around them. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's great. They're you know they're they're kind of they're kind of a comedic effect, which is a different take on the Krang than we're used to. But I like it. 
Yeah, yeah. At this point in the series, yeah, because you'll find out later with the crossover episode that the Krang from the 87 series is also one of those prime Krangs, but he was just a screw-up. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Which I love. Yeah. Um, Let's see. Donnie, he's trying to disarm Krang's bomb, and that's when Bradford and uh, Fishface, Zever, they show up. This is before they're mutated, of course. We're still humans here. Yeah, they're mutated at the end of this episode. Yeah, this, this is a big one for those two. And by the way, Rooftop fights. No one does them better than the Turtles. I'm Nobody telling does. you. Yeah. yeah. They always, like, one trope of the Ninja Turtles that I love is when there's a rooftop fight, there's two things you can count on. It's going to be a good fight, and there's going to be good music. Yes. And, and this, this episode certainly doesn't disappoint because the music is just rock and roll, and the Turtles are fighting these two guys. Meanwhile, Donato's trying to disarm the, uh, the bomb all the while. So and then uh, it's funny because Donatello is struggling between the red wire and the green wire, and Michelangelo goes, "Go for the green!" And Don's like, "All right, I guess I will." <laughs> yeah. So he just cuts it, and sure enough, Michelangelo, you know, he saves the day. Yeah. So uh, you know, just amazing fight scene. Um, I took a note that like I love how they're fighting on like all four corners of the rooftop that they're at, mm-hmm. and the camera's just panning as they're fighting. Um, it just looks so good. Um, I am so, so impressed with what the Nickelodeon series has been able to do from a technology standpoint because it yeah. looks amazing when they fight. It's definitely got the best fight scenes that we've seen from the Turtles. Big time. And pretty much because it's just so much easier. I know everybody always laments against CGI as opposed to animation. Sure. You know, but sure. it is so much easier for you to animate a CGI character than a hand-drawn character. And especially when you have just the camera just going in ways that you really couldn't do in live action. Like, you see, there's a particular episode where I I know it happens multiple times, but, like, the one, I can't remember what episode it is, but, like, Raphael throws a ninja star at a car that they're chasing, and the camera follows the path of the ninja star as it goes from his hand through the air and then into a tire on the car and pops the tire and the car skids out. But you just couldn't do that in live action. It wouldn't have the same fluidity in hand-drawn animation on the budget of a Saturday morning cartoon. Right. Very animated true. movie? Yeah, sure. But you know, that's 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 one thing I really love about this series. Like they they weren't afraid to just steer into the skid on the argument versus of CGI versus animation. So I really, really appreciate that. Yeah, me too. Me too. Big time. And, and you know, like you said, it's a weekly show. You know, so yeah. you can count on this stuff weekly. So you're getting this high-quality stuff on a regular basis. You know, it just blows my mind. Um, so meanwhile, Dog Pound and Fish Face, I mean, sorry, Bradford and Zever, they are cornered by the Turtles. And the Turtles are like, you've lost. Give up. You're done. Bradford's like, no, no, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. Uh, if I go down, I'm taking you all with me. So mm-hmm. he hits the side of the Krang building, and I didn't know there was ooze up there. I guess that's where the bomb was going to be. Yeah, the at. top was the uh, the mutagen bomb. I got you. I got you. Which it was on top of the Wolf Hotel, which is I think is a reference to Fred Wolf from the original series. Oh. The producer of the original series. I didn't catch that. Very good. Yeah. Because I didn't catch it either, and Nicole was watching it with me, and she says, Wolf Hotel? What is that about? And I said, oh, I, I, I'll be willing to bet that's Fred Wolf 
one of the producers of the original cartoon. Yeah, I say that's it. Yeah. So uh, Bradford, he knocks the glass out of this thing, and all the suits just literally knocks him and uh, Zever down off the the bank, or mm-hmm. off off the the rooftop. Off the roof. Yeah. Yeah. So they're so they're gone. And uh, so meanwhile, you know, the, the turtles are about to celebrate, and Shredder, just like the 1990 movie, just like pops up out of nowhere, like he Stops. fell from the sky. Yeah. <laughs> and he goes, "Your skills are quite impressive." You know, it's just in that just real deep, intimidating voice of his. Yeah. And Michelangelo's like, don't worry, guys. I know a way we can escape. And he gets one of his little things out. He throws in it, and it's a regular egg. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, that one's on me. That's on me. <laughs> I didn't see the beginning of this episode, so I didn't realize that Donatello made the smoke bombs out of discarded eggshells. Yep. <laughs> so I was like, if so for a second, I was like, Mike, how dumb are you? You just mistook a smoke bomb for, for an egg. An egg. <laughs> and then I uh, rewatched it very quickly, and I was like, "Oh, okay, that explains it." That so, makes sense. <laughs> so don't be judgmental, kids. Oh, don't be judgmental. Good. I love it. <laughs> so the Shredder fight just as no, actually, it's not just as good. It's even better than the Bradford and uh, Zever fight. I mean, it's just amazing shots everywhere. And there's one, yeah. the particular one that stood out to me when um, Shredder just kind of like backhands Michelangelo, and Michelangelo's. <laughs> skitter rolling um, just about to fall off the rooftop but as he's tumbling down he grabs two shuriken throw, throws them at Shredder and he blocks both of them with the armor on his forearms and like yeah that is man that's awesome um, yeah and you know what the, the fight choreography it's so intricate in this big time. Uh, episode where like Michelangelo and Raphael are, team, are teaming up on uh, Shredder and Shredder just like bats Michelangelo away and he flies up in the air and then he's focusing on Raphael and he I can't remember exactly what he did to Raphael but he knocks him on the ground and he's about to stab him or he's raising his arm up to stab him with his blades on his on his wrist blades and right then you see Michelangelo's chain weapon come down and wrap around that was awesome I remember that uh, Shredder's arm and he uses since he's still up in the air and he uses his momentum to loop his one end of his chain weapon around the sign for the hotel and use him as a as a pulley to as he's coming down he raises shredder up into the air and it hurts Lots, him yeah and it hurts him yeah that's that's the one time they hurt shredder and it was really surprising that it came from michelangelo anyway whatever but it was just really cool to see the intricacies and just how much thought goes into these fight scenes because you, it is easy to just get the impression that, okay, the script says they fight. We'll just leave it to the animators to figure it out. Right. It's like, no, man, the script writers and the director, uh, they all have these very clear-cut um, scenes that they want to see. In this, oh, man, this big play. time. Big time. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's like watching a kung fu film. You know, you're, you're seeing such intricate fight scenes that you know were planned out. I mean, it's it's not just a random fight. It is using um, the surroundings, excellent shots, uh, just just crazy camera angles that you don't see much. It's just um, that's one of the best things uh, Nick does in this series. Yeah, and the fight scenes have never really suffered in quality. No, 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 they certainly haven't. Since then, it's just it, I really love how the turtles use their environment, no matter where they are, in an alleyway, on a rooftop, in space, underwater, doesn't yeah, matter. Right. Yeah. You know? 
Oh, I, I, I wholeheartedly agree. And, and then one really cool shot is Shredder. He's got these two claws, and he, uh, he it looks like he's going to stab Leonardo against the, the building. And I thought he those, did when yeah. he first. He's like, oh, my God. what? <laughs> oh, it's crazy. So he gets those two claws. By the way, they're retractable, which I love. Yeah, they're Wolverine claws. They yeah. really are, yeah. And uh, it kind of reminded me of Wolverine, too, what he does next. Cause, so what he does, he, he, he stabs them, and both claws go right on either side of Leonardo's neck, so he's pinned against the wall. And then he's got a middle claw, just like Wolverine would, uh, and it starts like re- you know retracting out to his um, throat. And um, you know that's when uh, he threatens them and stuff. And I, I can't remember. Is that when Michelangelo came in? Yeah, I think that's what it is. Yeah, it's not Raphael. It is Michelangelo. Yeah, but uh, yeah, he says you know he tells him he tells Leonardo it's like oh man I cannot remember what specifically he's looking for but I remember the second line where he says you know I promise I'll make, you won't feel any pain yeah he's like I promise I'll make this quick yeah and then right at that moment uh, Zever and Bradford show up but this time they're mutated they crawl they crawl up the building and oh it's so you, creepy oh yeah. it is yeah do yeah. you see do you see Bradford too because I only remember seeing Zever when he's or fish face now yeah I don't actually think you see Bradford um, you just see fish face and uh, yeah Shredder's completely shocked, and this might be the first time he's realized, wow, this is what this mutagen can do. Yeah. Um, and... It's very much – did you ever see the movie RoboCop? Oh, yeah. When when that dude gets dunked into, like, chemical waste. Oh, yeah, he's like <gasps> – He's like <laughs> – He's just oh, like, help creepy. me. And then he gets hit by a car. So. <laughs> oh, I, you know, that kind of does remind me of that. And then, That's uh... exactly what I thought of. I was like, oh, God, pop culture's just ruined me for any movie. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, and then um, so the the uh, during this time that Shredder's sidetracked, the turtles escape, and uh, you know, kind of the main lesson we learn here is the turtles. You know, they thought they were super duper cocky; they could handle anything. They can't. Yeah. You know, they they they're very very strong, but they had an even stronger adversary. Um, and Splinter doesn't scold them. He says, "You know, I, I hope you guys have learned." And he has a great go home line here. It says, "Prepare yourselves, my son, because as of this moment." We are at war, and then that's how the episode ends. Yeah. So. Yeah, and it, and it even it picks up with the next episode too, where he says, you know, you know, there's no more games, there's no more toys, there's no more going out. All there is is training, starting now. You know. Yeah. And because he even says at the end of episode nine, uh, not eight, <clears throat> uh, <laughs> he says at the end of episode nine, you know, just very few people have walked away, have faced the shredder and lived. Yeah. So it's just kind of like, you know, and. I, you know the turtles just got lucky. You know they were going to lose. Where it's just like, it's not like the original turtles issue where they fought Shredder to a standstill and then they just beat. They were able to beat the Shredder. It was just kind of like you know they were able to outthink the Shredder. Just like no, this guy had a leg up on you the entire time. It's very much like the original movie where it's just like this guy is just kind of toying with you. Yeah, you know, big time. So how many slices of pizza would you give this? You know, I give this. This is speaking since it's episode eight. I'm gonna have to give it an eight. You know, very solid, very great introduction to Shredder. Mm-hmm. Even though, I mean, you've seen him, but this is the first time you've really seen his capabilities. I mean, you're like, it's it's usually, in my opinion, it's usually a letdown when there's this big bad guy who just sits in a room all the time and just uh, just sends people out. And he's like, fine, I'll deal with him myself and. It was really cool to see that this guy can really do some damage. You know, oh, yeah. the turtles just got lucky. Yeah, yeah. I, I think 
this is the best episode um, up to that point. I think this yeah. was the the best episode so far, and it's mm-hmm. almost halfway through the first season. Um, man, man, it's good. So I'd say, ugh, I would give this episode a nine uh, for the simple fact that. All right. The fight scene between Shredder and the Turtles was so good. Um, it's good. And this is the first, yeah, first time you see it happen, and it's everything you, you kind of hope it would be, uh, and and more because um, you know that the Turtles now are getting ready because Shredder's not going away. Just like what Splinter said, he's not a problem that's going to go away. It's only going to get worse. So we need to prepare for this because war is coming. And yeah. sure enough, by the end of the first season, we kind of get that war. And it is fantastic. I I would give this one a nine, um, mm-hmm. only uh, only because I know I'd give it an even higher score. Um, I was I loved it so much, but there's an episode that's better in this same season, and it is, it's, <laughs> it's the last one. Uh, yeah. So, um, good stuff, man. I I really I enjoyed the content of both things uh, this week. I thought that we had some good stuff to talk about today. Yeah, you know, it, it was a good week to to really kind of delve back into where the turtles started the turtles that for a lot of people this is their version of the turtles like oh yeah like the, the idw count like i i'm i've got to say right now that as much as i love i'm loving volume four i love the archie comics i love the original mirage books but like the idw series it's that is the best comic series with the turtles in them just and wow uh, like ever yeah i really i really do believe it because like wow the original series, the original volume of the Turtles, from issue one to I'll give it to like issue eleven, and including the micro series, so like the first fifteen issues is really good. It's an iconic run. You get Turtles versus Shredder. You get the Utrams, Fugitoid, the Triceratons, the Foot Clan, and then a resurrected Shredder by the end of it. And then they end up in Northampton, and that is what every Turtles, in my opinion, every Turtles iteration before that has grown from that initial run, which it should. And with the Return to New York storyline, there's a couple of of other stories, like Return to New York, City at War, and just a couple of others. But in between, it just kind of drags, which which you, you know. It's going to happen with any series. It's going to drag a bit, but like with the um, with the IDW series, it never really drags anywhere. You get a lot of just issues where it's just people talking, but it's always pertinent information. You know, like you you never really get that these turtles do anything else because they can't. You know, they they can't let up for a second on you know the foot clan the savat the uh the purple dragons um well actually not the purple dragons yet. the krang yeah and the stone soldiers the utrams the neutrinos they've got a lot on their plate and kitsune a bunch of new stuff and they made it last for i'm gonna say around 80 issues if you count all the side quests that they have right you know like going with the ghostbusters the batman stuff all kinds of stuff. <laughs> and the reason I say that this is the best version of the Turtles comics is because they totally, um, they completely 
benefit from the 30 years of Turtles history that came before it because oh, yeah. you get, this is the best mixture of the Mirage comics, the Archie comics, even the Image books, and um, the 2003 series, the Volume 4 stuff. There's a little – the Nickelodeon series, there's a little bit of everything in this series. So no matter when you came into contact with the Turtles, there's something here outside of the Turtles that you recognize. And they have the wherewithal to create their own stuff, you know? You know, it's, it's so interesting you bring that up because they're taking the foundation of everything we love about the Turtles. Everything. Yeah. The original comic, the cartoon. Um, they're taking that foundation. So we have a strong foundation that this, this company um, or that IDW's worked with. They've not only built upon that foundation, they have just created something of their own as well. So, yeah. I mean, for that reason, and, and not to mention, this is the longest-running volume of the Turtles, aside from, I guess, the Archie series. But this is the longest-running version of the Turtles, and there's no signs that they're slowing down. As a matter of no, fact, no. it's so expansive now that they have to create Universe next month. You know, this yeah. is incredible. We've never seen two simultaneous serious Turtle comics um, full-time like this, ever. We've always had... Um, side series we've always had uh a serious like mirage comic and the archie comic at the same time yeah uh, but we've never had two serious versions going full time um and not to mention the amazing adventures that's three main comic lines going simultaneously all of the turtles it's the first time in turtle history that's happened yeah i think so yeah i mean they had the mirage comics and they also had the um Tales of the Team and T series, but they were bi-monthly. They weren't. They weren't monthly. Yeah, no. That's that's the that's the really interesting thing about this one is they're they're, you know what I love about it is it's all one guy basically working on this series, but like they've never they've never uh, not supported other writers coming in and doing their own thing because oh, yeah. like. The Turtles and Ghostbusters crossover was uh, another set of writers. The April and Casey miniseries. The uh, Mutanimals, yeah. The Mutanimals series. I love the Mutanimals series. I wish that come back. I, I know. I kind of wish, like, um, when they did the Archie series, the Mutanimals, seri the Mutanimals were so popular that they created another uh, Archie series for the Mutanimals. Yeah. And it started, it was TMNT Presents the, the Mighty Mutanimals. And I would have I I would venture to guess that they kind of decided are we going to do TMNT universe or are we going to do Mutanimals? Ah, it's kind of like well, true. Mutanimals kind of aren't a thing right now, so TMNT universe will do that. So yeah, yeah, I I really I would really love uh, like you had the villains micro series. I would love a Mutanimals micro series where like you have Ray Filet, Pigeon Pete. Um, and Mutagen Man, and whatever else, and then you've got it'd probably be two volumes because you do another version with Old Hob and another. Like I would love a miniseries with Mondo Gecko. Yeah, <laughs> love that, you know. And you know, I keep waiting for Ace Duck and Usagi Ojimbo to show up, you know. Mm -hmm. And I know Ace Duck is going to be. I kind of believe Ace Duck will show up eventually because. There was a 30th anniversary uh, special edition comic that came out, and on the cover it was the Turtles against the Shredder and Krang and a big group of people in front of the Technodrome, 
and with the Ninja Turtles was Ace Duck. Ah, you know? cool. And so I'm hoping that Ace Duck shows up just because I love Ace Duck. He's awesome. Oh, yeah. You can't go wrong with Ace Duck. And you know what? Speaking of Usagi Yojimbo, he's going to show up in Season 5. Yeah, I heard about that. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah and I cannot wait to see that. Yeah, and like Season 5 looks like it's going to be good, you know, mm-hmm. with just with everything that I've seen. I don't know that the episode's out yet. I thought it came out last week. I'm not sure. Maybe, Ooh, see, maybe it came out today or something like that. I'm not sure. So... Well, I mean, regardless, it is an exciting time, you know. I, I've been saying oh, that. Yeah. I, I mean, I think, I think, starting when we did was a great time to start podcasting because we have so much stuff to to talk about, so much different mm-hmm. content, so much, you know. Of course, you got the original era, you got the 2003 era, and then you've got everything that's happening right now. It's the turtles have absolutely blown up. Um, I mean, we have years and years and years worth of content to talk about, uh, and that's an exciting thing for me. And we're and right now we're getting a lot of firsts when it comes to the IDW series. Uh, so it's a you know I think ten years from now we're going to look back on the IDW run. You know, assuming that it's over by then, it might still be going, but we're going to look back on the IW run, uh, IDW run, and probably consider it one of the greatest runs the Turtles have ever had, if not the greatest. So I'd be willing to bet it's going to be the best one. Yeah, yeah because I wouldn't doubt this it. Is- this is probably the longest lasting one because like uh right now I think it is, yeah. Yeah, because volume 1 ended at 63 or 62. 63 yeah. or 62 somewhere in there. Volume 2 only lasted 13 issues. Mm-hmm. Um volume 3 lasted 30 something issues and then volume 4 was about 43? 32. Oh, 32, that's one thing. Okay. Yeah. Technically it's still going, but it's it's done. It it is done. Yeah. I mean, Peter Laird has even said he's he's done with he's moved on, you know. Yeah. So yeah, he's kind of lost interest in it. Which kind of which is kind of sad, but you know, let's see what else he can do. Yeah, all all good things must come to an end. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And uh, but yeah, volume. I I don't know that this is volume five, but considering, but I just consider it volume five. So volume five of the Ninja Turtles is probably the best one. Yeah. Now it's. And it it totally banks on the nostalgia, the and everything that's come before it. And I just I really can't wait to see where it goes. Absolutely, so. man. Well, hey, on that on that note, man. Just like you know, since it's been such a great day, since the IDW series is awesome. What kind of pizza should we have uh, to close out today's episode? You know what? I'm gonna let you pick, man. Because oh. yeah, I usually pick, and I I'm I'm kind of boring with my pizza because I kind of I just I like classic stuff but i want to see what you got oh man let's see well i'm a sucker for bacon i do like bacon on my pizza oh yeah yeah let's see so i'll say you know i just like the idea of having breakfast cereal on pizza too i mean i'm not going to eat it necessarily it's not something i prefer but you know in the spirit Uh of the ninja turtles so i'll say fruity pebbles and bacon pizza what do you think all right (laughs) not bad man that's that good salty sweet stuff absolutely i'm a sucker for that it's just like uh you know um pretzels and ice cream there you go (laughs) and plus you know like fruity pebbles is just kind of the worst cereal when you actually make a bowl of cereal because like it just dissolves it disappears yeah yeah wait a minute right you're done before you even know you're like i want more (laughs) yeah and And they make the boxes so small (laughs) well no we just got bigger that's all oh that's that's what it is yeah so but uh (laughs) We just got older, I should say, because we were, it, that box was ginormous. Yes, know? it was. Yep. Yeah, exactly so, right. Yeah. So now you can actually enjoy Fruity Pebbles the way it was meant to be. On pizza. On bacon pizza. <laughs> yeah.
Well, all right, Pizza Dudettes. Well, here's to hoping you enjoy your Fruity Pebbles and bacon pizza. Cowabunga, dudes. Cowabunga. All right, guys, so uh, today we are going to be talking about, uh, I think it was episode 8 of the Nickelodeon series called The Gauntlet, and this is, ooh, this is a good one. Oh, I, wait a minute. Yes. Wait, what season? Season 1. Okay, I see the one, I thought it was Never Say Never. Oh, no. Really? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. So really. Oh, God. What happened in your What happened in your episode? <laughs> oh no! Let's see. Never say. Because I remember I looked it up on Facebook and you said that because you were talking to me and Josh. You were talking to me and Jay Weasley. Oh crap! Did I Did I say the wrong one? I bet you I did. Yeah. Oh no! <laughs> oh crap! <laughs> 